0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Thunkin' Philosophers podcast. This is Brandon, I'm joined here with Blake and Isaac. Mm. And today we're going to be posing the question, Are all cops bastards? (laughs) Question? Yeah, good question, Brandon. (laughs) What do you think, bud? I think that I'm going to abolish your ass. I think that's what's going to happen over the course of these next three episodes. We're going to do at least a three-part series. (laughs) About policing in America. Uh, So we're going to try to, you know, take the context of of, and the role of police in our society uh, throughout the course of our history leading up to today and decide whether or not we need to reevaluate some things and, and, and what that means, whether we should be abolishing the police, as I'm sure you've seen argued or defunding the police, or if it's just some bad apples and we need to maybe change our or adjust our perceptions of the way that we treat the men and women in blue.
1: Wait, so abolish me in particular. Is it abolish me or are you trying to deport me? (laughs) I am not trying to... I am not trying to deport you, uh, but uh, it's like I want to make that clear we, we are for everybody listening. <laughs>
0: we're gonna abolish. We're gonna abolish ice too, while we're at it. So that won't
1: be an option. It's 110 degrees outside. Why would you abolish ice? <laughs> <laughs> that is You're
0: a s- very. That is a very good point. Yeah, yeah. We're probably gonna be taking some extra extra breaks today because my office gets very loud or very hot over the course. Of recording and uh, there's no way around it because it's literally it's 109 degrees outside right now in Phoenix and it's not gonna really cool off for a while so anytime soon
1: just kind of is what it is. All Um, right, history of police, Brandon. Since you like to do your, oh, I like to look into things and research. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so
0: I kind of. uh, You know, I have a few stories to tell that are going to try to, you know, attempt to pull a thread through our nation's history, um, in terms of the police and their role in our society, really from this nation's inception to today, and we can talk about what policing is with that history in mind, so... I want to start you off all the way back in 1767, when the the United States wasn't the United States yet. We were actually British colonies, the first, you know, 13 colonies. Everybody knows that that, uh, story. Um, British Parliament enacted the Townsend Acts and a, a, a few other things. That were meant to recoup money from the French and Indian War, that, which happened in 1754 to s- 1763, where the Crown in uh, Britain spent a great deal of money protecting the colonies um, in the French and Indian War, and they wanted to make some of that m- make some of that money back. So they started imposing imposing duties, imposing taxes. duty. <laughs> <laughs> Imposing taxes on goods Coming into the colonies from other places There were laws in place That dictated that Anything going to or from the colonies Had to basically go through Great Britain first And that's how the taxes were were imposed Which was costly Not just in the tax But actually shipping things to Great Britain And then shipping it to wherever it was going to go Or vice versa You know, that was met with a lot of angry opposition from many of the colonists, especially in Massachusetts. There were organized boycotts of the goods that were heavily taxed. They were boycotting the businesses that chose to deal in those goods that were being taxed, you know, particularly things like tea. And organizations like the Sons of Liberty uh, were increasingly violent to the point of terroristic in their opposition to to these measures that were being taken by british official officials and businesses and so in early 1770 the sons of liberty and others were harassing businesses and boycotting and berating their customers and one of these people happened to be uh this person ebenezer richardson in february 22nd he was he went to take down protester signs which had importer emblazoned on the on the sign real big that they were sticking on businesses and he went to take down a bunch of these signs and he was harassed by this group of of kids um of boys every every uh account I could find just said a group of boys so I'm not exactly sure what that means Mm -hmm. um in terms of like age range. I'm yeah. assuming young men you think. Uh, and, and children. Uh, there definitely were children because they they came out and they were harassing him and throwing rocks and stuff at him and he ran him all the way back into his house. And he came back out to like chastise them and this other person, uh, George Wilmot, met up with him and kids had actually moved into his backyard and were hurling rocks and, and, uh, and shouting things at him. And him, uh, Richardson and Wilmot both armed went back into the house, armed themselves, came back out. Things escalated to a point where Richardson shot and killed an 11-year-old boy. in in his yard. And the the you know presumably the thing that stopped by that point there was a bigger group, a bigger crowd of people out there. Presumably, what stopped them from kind of taking things into their own hands was that they assumed there would be a trial and and there would be consequences for this. Well, you know, in the wake of the boy whose last name was either Sider or Snyder, according to different sources, um, in the wake of his funeral, brawls broke out between soldiers and rope makers uh, in Boston's South End on March 2nd and 3rd. Tensions were already high, like I said, just politically, and so there was already a lot of civil unrest going on. Rumors began to swirl about. British troops planning an attack on these workers who had uh, gone down and, and searched their shop for a British soldier who had gone missing who they believed had been murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, the rope makers got word of that, uh, that there was going to be an attack by the British officers and everybody got really riled up on March 5th and a crowd of Bostonians roamed the streets believing that the soldiers were going to go cut down the so-called Liberty Tree, which was a tree in in Boston where they often hung effigies of British officers and the King and people and lit them on fire to show their distaste or dislike Jesus. for public officials. Mm-hmm. So that's a thing that used to, that used to ha- that was happening in the early colonies was they were so mad at the at the King and everything that they would make effigies of him. Burn and them in burn tree. them on this tree called the Liberty <laughs> Tree. And so they, you know, the rumors going around, oh, they're going to come <laughs> down and cut down this tree and whatever. And uh, they eventually ended up, they made their way to the barracks of the 29th Regiment of the British Army, which which was stationed in Boston. They s- swelled around the sentry guard who was placed in, in front of the building. All the other soldiers were in the barracks. But the uh, sentry was out there, and everybody gathered around him. It was a crowd of like roughly 50 to 60 people gathered around uh, the century by the customs house. They were, you know, yelling insults and stuff, and the bells of the building were, were rung, which were usually rung to signal that there was a fire or something, something of that nature. But the bells were rung, and a captain led a group of seven soldiers with fixed bayonets through the crowd to go rescue his sentry. Uh, the soldiers got down there. They ended up kind of surrounding the the sentry, backed up against the building, as this crowd of people con- continues to swell and get more and more violent and angry. Protesters, the the protesters got to a point where they knew that the riot act had not been read, and this was the riot act was this this act that the passed by the british parliament some years before that actually dictated that and when dealing with unrest like this a protest or or a riot you actually had to read out loud sort of like reading the Miranda rights you had to read out this act and tell them you have i think it was i think it was about an hour you had you had an hour to disperse yeah Um, and, and they couldn't, soldiers could not fire their weapons in that time. You basically, you have an hour to get out of here, go home, whatever, before we were allowed to shoot you. Mm -hmm. And they know, they knew that that hadn't been read. And so they got to a point where they started throw, they were throwing snowballs and throwing and allegedly throwing clams and rocks as well Mm -hmm. at the soldiers. Uh, things got out of hand Somebody heard someone shout fire um, There are accounts that that the crowd was actually taunting them to shoot But anyways somebody, one of the soldiers said that he heard somebody yell fire He fired his he fired his rifle everybody else fired their rifle five protesters died that day the captain immediately Ordered them to go back into the barracks. Everybody all the soldiers went back into the barracks. He went and climbed the uh, went into the uh, balcony of the building and told everyone, justice will be served. Everything will be fine. tried to uh, chill everybody out and send everybody home effectively. But uh, five protesters, five protesters died, and immediately the propaganda war began. Uh, as soon as as soon as this happened, literally the the next morning, Captain Preston, his seven soldiers, and the sentry were all arrested. By the next week, the 14th and 29th regiments had left town but the seeds of revolution were already growing at mm-hmm. that point many historians consider that to be those to be the first shots of the american revolution in that in that moment Immedi- immediately pamphlets were getting dispersed throughout the community saying that you know, they had murdered them in cold blood and things were only going to get worse and and just painting you know, painting these uh, officers and the British government in, in general as the biggest villain that they possibly could, you know. Um, John Adams, who was one of the, our nation's founders, our third president, I believe, at the time he was a lawyer and he re- actually represented the British defendants in court, emphasizing the chaos, uncertainty, and confusion around the shooting. He won acquittal for all but two of the soldiers who received manslaughter charges. Their thumbs were branded as punishment because they were first-time offenders. So they, I, I believe they were branded with an M on their thumbs, mm. saying they are murderers. Ouch. Um, oh, see,
1: that sucks. I love giving, you know, thumbs up. Right? Oh, nope. nope. <laughs> do they do both the, of them? Uh, I don't know.
0: That's Actually, a good question. I'm not sure.
1: Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm right-handed. I guess I could, you know, go with a left-handed thumbs up or just not murder anyone i saw
0: one i saw read one account that it was an m that they burned on there but i wasn't able to uh prove that that was in fact the case but it was was just a brand of
1: like a dick right (laughs) it's like that's definitely (laughs) embarrassing
0: (laughs) uh captain thomas preston the uh, captain who had led the soldiers out there was quoted saying none of them was a hero the victims were troublemakers who got more than they deserved. The soldiers were professionals who shouldn't have panicked. The whole thing shouldn't have happened.
1: Uh, mm, that I, sounds I, familiar. I feel like
0: that really really sums up <clears throat> that account of those events. But you know, we all we all grew up hearing about the Boston Massacre mm-hmm. and how that was the thing that set off the Revolutionary War. But with that little bit of, of context you know I, th- I think it's capable of changing our perception maybe of what ha- actually happened you know and oh uh, yeah and and where this this kind of this country came from
1: and definitely so, where it seems like in in places it still is
0: right well so now we're gonna fast forward to
1: 1969
0: at, uh... <laughs> 69 <laughs> so yeah in the morning, December 4th, 1969, this is a year after Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated, which led to a huge amount of rioting and civil unrest. Um, 4.45 in the morning, December 4th, 1969, eight police officers from the Cook County State's Attorney's Office in Chicago allegedly knocked on the front door of Black Panther party leader Fred Hampton's apartment. There were six more officers at the back door. They had a warrant authorizing a search for illegal weapons. They, the Black Panthers were well known for being a, an armed group of, of individuals. They had already, just in the year prior to these events, they had already been in a handful of gunfights with police across the country, and several of those fights actually happening in Chicago Itself, They were known for working with local gangs and organizing with local gangs. They, they ran uh, programs like the free breakfast program. They were, mm. they were a militant socialist group and that was very prominent in the late 1960s. And they were known for their Maoist beliefs and for being armed. And the, uh, these officers had a warrant to search for illegal weapons. They allegedly knocked on the door. No one answered. Then they knocked again with a weapon, for some reason, uh, and were, according mm. to the police, according to the police account, they were immediately met with gunfire. Uh, they uh, Immediately, the Black Panthers inside of the apartment started firing on the police, and roughly eight to 12 minutes later, Jesus. Um, Hampton and one other Panther were dead. Four more Panthers and two officers were wounded. Seven Panthers were charged with attempted murder after these events. Nineteen guns and more than one thousand rounds of ammo were found in the apartment.
1: Yeah, I think there would be more ammo in there.
0: It seem, seemed like a, seems like a pretty cut and dry thing if you take the uh, the police account. Right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 No, I'm just kidding. So,
0: <laughs> according to the Cook County State's Attorney, Edward, Edward uh, Hanrahan, I don't know mm. how to say this name, Hanrahan?
1: That's not real. That's a fake name. Uh, according to him,
0: he was the state attorney who sent these officers, the immediate violent criminal reaction of the occupants in, sh- in shooting at announced police officers emphasizes the extreme viciousness of the Black Panther Party. This is at a time when Richard Nixon is, is the president of the United States, and he has been calling the, uh, the Black Panthers the single greatest threat to America. They were being investigated by J. Edgar Hoover's FBI. He was the head of the FBI at the time. The back and, and
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Damn, this really does go deep.
0: And this killing did, did not change that perception. But immediately after, the police account was being, was being challenged openly by journalists and by activists and by the Black Panthers themselves <coughs> saying that, that this is not how these events played out. Uh, many pe- people didn't ple- believe the account altogether. Uh, they claimed that it was a hit job. And there was a, a Department of Justice investigation launched on the Chicago Police Department that eventually found that eighty-two to ninety-nine shots were fired into the apartment, and can you guess how many shots were fired out of the apartment?
1: Um, I
0: I can because I, I read it in your notes. <laughs> <laughs> Was it two? I, I I changed the notes when I went, when I looked at the uh, you the
1: motherfucker
0: national archive records. So this is according to the National Archive records from the federal government on a mm. .gov site. They only fired once out of there was one shot fired out of the apartment.
1: God damn it, Brandon!
0: Shortly thereafter, a break-in at the FBI field office in Pennsylvania uncovered a cache of documents, including a floor plan of Hampton's apartment and an outline of the FBI's role in the assassination of Fred Hampton. Mm. They found they found that they had actually hired an informant to work his way into the Black Panther party and become close to Fred Hampton and he actually drugged Hampton the night before so that he would sleep through the raid hmm. they raided the place they fired into the so they you know knocked in the door fired into the apartment 99 shots when they when they actually walked in they found Hampton wounded but not dead, and they fired two shots into the back of his head. Hmm.
1: That almost sounds like an assassination. Yes. Um, That is insane.
0: The state attorney was fired and indicted with 13 others on charges of obstruction, but he was eventually cleared of all charges. Oh. According to the federal government's actual records, the FBI in conjunction with the Chicago Chicago Police Department ordered and executed the assassination of a Black Panther Party leader and then tried to cover it up. They were actually sued by the family and I uh, didn't take these details down, but they were sued by the family and family lost the lawsuit, but it was revisited later and they got ended up getting like less than 2 million dollars. Um, for the fam- the family of Fred Hampton and the other person who was killed he was killed in his bed next to his 9-month pregnant fiance who was also s- who was sleeping right next to him um, that was 1969 i know we like to th- we tend to think about you know the civil rights movement as being a long time ago but how long ago was it really, like, 1969? Isaac, how, long, how old are your parents?
1: Uh, old. They, <laughs> I believe my mom is 56 and my dad is 49. What year were they
0: born? Fuck, I don't know. Well, so for reference, you know, <laughs> Don, Donald Trump is 74 years old. He was born in 1946.
1: Jesus Christ.
0: So he was in his 20s when this happened. He would have been, what, 23?
1: I think he, does, he must get a lot of Botox injections then.
0: Right. Um, so the president of the United States right now was 23 years old when this assassination was carried out. Bernie Sanders is, is right there with him.
1: Um, <laughs> Bernie Sanders was Joe, 75 Joe- when this happened.
0: Joe Biden, yeah. Bernie (laughs) Sanders was known for you know having marched in the civil rights movement. You know, um, like I said, MLK had been killed the the year before this. This is recent. This is modern, recent modern history.
1: Yeah, it's it's not like the you know Boston massacre. There's people around that experience this, just like we're experiencing things now.
0: The current FBI director is Christopher Wray. He was born in 1966, so he was alive when this happened, the current FBI director. Mm. Now, fast forward to 2020. March 13th, go. 2020. Shortly after midnight, Louisville p- police officers executing a search warrant used a battering ram to enter the apartment of Brianna Taylor, a 26-year-old African-American emergency room technician. Uh, Ms. Taylor and her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker were lying in bed when the raid began a short exchange ensued Kenneth Walker fired a weapon at the police the police fired back wounding Walker and killing Brianna Taylor Police said that they had believed that one of the two men in an investigation in a drug investigation had used her apartment to receive packages. Turns out that one of the men involved in this operation was Brianna Taylor's ex-boyfriend, and who had already been arrested that day. The judge's order was for a so-called no-knock warrant. No drugs were found in the apartment. Walker wounded one of the officers and was charged with attempted murder of a police officer. The charge was dismissed in May. We're not going to get dive too much into the details of this, as it's a current investigation. We're learning more by the day, but we're just we're just not really going to dive into that. But you know, this happens in March, and it wasn't the main catalyst of these current protests that we're seeing happening around the country. But it is, has been certainly been one of the the main um, topics of discussion surrounding police brutality and pro- and just policing in general in the wake of the George Floyd killing in Minneapolis Isaac here you, is. your your what are your first thoughts in terms of given those three stories going from you know the literal moments of the United States awakening
2: Mm-hmm.
0: to the civil rights movement to today with no-knock raids like the one that happened at Breonna Taylor's home. What has changed and, and, and what's what's the same with policing and your understanding of it as an officer? What are just your first
1: thoughts? Hmm, well, <laughs> buckle up, guys. No, I, it, it, it breaks my heart and pisses me off and it it definitely leaves i mean it, it's things that i can honestly tell you keep me up at night thinking about you know as we go through this um three part series you know possibly four with how much brandon and i like to talk you know these all, all everything that i you know I, I say on here it's nothing to do with my place of employment you know like we've already said before it's our own personal opinions and thoughts on things and it sucks dude i mean it's the exact opposite of how i feel the profession should be and and honestly i mean even with how i was trained you know the part of the country where i was trained in the police academy that i went to one of the first things that we were told was you know our our job is the preservation of life Shooting and killing somebody is not preserving any life. Preserving my life, sure, I guess if if it's if it's necessary. But at all costs, we need to preserve life. You, even the bad guy. Even if somebody did something really bad, it is my job to make sure that they're okay and safe and go through the system, you know, alive. You know, but you know after after hearing everything that. You know, you just went over and then up until now, you know, no-knock warrants. It's insane. I mean, I, I I, would not want to be an officer, you know, on the tag team assigned to that. It's like, all right, we're going to go to this house where we know there's, you know, we're suspected anyways. So it's, for argument's sake, say, yeah, we know there's guns, we know there's drugs, and we know there's really, really bad guys behind that door. So we're going to kick it in and go after it. That does not sound like a good time to me. It's like that's that's stupid, and once again, the exact opposite of what i've what I've experienced and have been told i I just do not understand how anybody can think that that situation can go peacefully or good, can go in a good direction other than ending in violence. This guy stands up and and shoots at cops for kicking down his door because he thinks that somebody else is breaking into his house. I don't blame them guy I mean. That's insane. You don't do that. If you've got a warrant, you can serve it during the daytime, knock on the door, call them out and do all this other stuff, but don't. I, it just blows my mind. You know, I'm a instructor. and working on getting a certification in other fields to instruct. And and one of them is, like, de-escalation techniques, which I, I feel is vitally underused, um, especially in that situation. I mean knock on the door, stand out back, use loudspeaker, call them out, say, hey, we've got the place surrounded, come outside. Come outside, come outside. Usually, I mean, you're not going to go anywhere, so they come outside and you put handcuffs on them, you put them in the car, you search the place, do your thing. Nobody dies. It's simple. So with that and then other situations that we have witnessed over the past, you know, me, me, us being our late 20s early 30s have witnessed which has been going on even before we were born you know continuously there just seems to be a problem um
0: is there a problem though part of the reason that i chose these stories in particular mm -hmm. are that the first one i feel like it 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 really captures an element of general civil unrest and the role that the public plays in this right so you know with that you know, we t- I talked about the Sons of Liberty, who were you know harassing business owners and 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 customers and generally just trying to start to start a pro- a fight. You know, and and crowds of people who were who were attacking a, a barracks full of troops who weren't at that time at that moment harassing them. You know, and 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 that kind of t- you know ties into. There's a lot of discussion about you know, are these people out protesting in our streets today? Are they protesters or are they rioters
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: are they are they just anarchists trying to burn down America and our businesses, or are they people voicing legitimate concerns about about the way that that race and policing are dealt with in this country? Yeah. Right. It, you know, that tends to be a part of it, you know. And, and then the second the second story, Fred Hampton, has to do with, you know, what we understand our, the history of of policing in this country can be and has been, particularly in regard to race, you know, and, and the Black Panther movement and, and, and the civil rights movement. And the idea that you know that wasn't that long ago, yeah. And it's and, and maybe it is reasonable for people to have these sort of sorts of perceptions, but leading into d- to today, and these sorts of things like the like these uh, these protests and the killing of Brianna of uh, Brianna Taylor and uh, Philando Castile and countless other oh, other there's, people. Oh, there's there's a massive list, just over yeah. The, yeah, just over the last decade or so. Um, clearly, you know, something has to be wrong. Uh, but, you know, what is it? You know, like, certainly we have to believe that these things have changed over the years, you know. Uh, but in what ways have they changed? What, what are, where are we coming from, you know, and, and where are we at now? And where do we need to be? So we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, Blake is going to dive into a bit of the history of policing in this country so we can get our bearings on you know, what police tactics have looked like, what police departments have looked like in the history of this country, and how they've changed and how our perceptions of them have changed throughout our nation's history.
2: And we're back. Uh, We're talking about the history of police in America. The modern police force that we are kind of more familiar with today really didn't even start until the early 1900s, but it kind of goes back all the way to the colonies, uh, as far as we're familiar. Uh, It was a system that was created a lot on racist sentiments. Um, Typically, if you're talking about... Definitely in the South. Oh, definitely in the South. In the South, they started as slave patrol, and then in the North, they tended to be revolved around the control of new immigrants uh, into communities essentially
0: right uh, and protecting property that's my mm-hmm. understanding yeah
2: exactly right. uh the mm-hmm. first form of policing in the south like i just mentioned were slave patrols they were typically like groups of men three to six strong that had whips and ropes and sometimes guns and their main purpose was just to capture and then return uh slaves mm-hmm. that had escaped or to terrorize black communities or slave communities to prevent riots in the future, essentially. That was the idea. They lasted all the way until the Civil War, and they essentially kind of evolved into the KKK that we know today, um, or a lot of their right. elements of them did.
0: Yeah, um, they were certainly, like, infiltrated by the KKK, and that's yes. some stuff that we're going to get into a little bit more of in the next episode yeah. when we really talk about white supremacy mm-hmm. and our policing.
2: But that's those are important points. So, I mean, if we're talking about the beginnings of police society or police groups i guess you should say policing um in america in the colonies of carolina in 1704 that's like when it really first started as far as like slave patrol goes in the south um it took all the way up until uh officially like 1838 for the first uh Police uh, force to actually become enacted, and that was in Boston at the time. And that was, yeah, yeah. It was mostly, (laughs) though. You'd think, you know, being a northern city might be a little more progressive, but it's actually mostly in response to an influx of immigrants from uh, Ireland and the other places that just suffered famines and issues. And the existing Bostonians were thinking like. They're fucking everything up. They're making it all worse. It's the immigrants they're messing it up. So that's when they started to enact like laws, and uh, they decided to make a police force to try and control these new immigrant groups. And it was essentially the same thing that kind of followed through through the rest of the northern cities. And it's funny urban that immigra-
0: immigration wasn't a problem when it was just the British you know, <laughs> coming in, coming in and fucking yeah. everything up for yeah. the natives. But exactly. now, <laughs> now we got problems.
1: Blake, I'm assuming that the members of the Slave Patrol and the newly funded police departments and the Night Watch uh, men were all a bunch of white guys?
2: Yeah, all oh, exclusively, yeah. Uh, absolutely exclusively. There weren't any paid police forces that had like a yeah. black person on it well into
1: the 1900s. Um, I, I read... S- what I through some of my reading, I read like the Night Watchmen. They had a lot of problems with uh, the Night Watchmen not being very effective,
2: and Typically. either
1: just sleeping through their shifts or being stone cold pissed drunk through them. Did y'all guys read yeah. that
2: too? It was also a
1: really common punishment
2: for crime to have you be put on the night watch for like accidents. <laughs> it was a really common crime. Is so it, like, is that not punishment.
0: how it works nowadays? <laughs> no,
2: you don't have to become a police after you know, accidentally murdering someone or something like and that. You're,
1: and you're not just shit faced drunk the whole time. You work. <laughs> it's like I, I I pick up some drunk guy on the corner and it's like, hey tag, you're it, bud. <laughs> just hand in my belt and I go home. It's the worst game of tag ever. (laughs) Damn it, he got me. (laughs) Well, see you tomorrow. See ya. What are some of your
0: your early impressions in in how uh, policing has changed since those early days of slave patrols? Uh, What what do you think your... uh, How much do you think your role has changed today? You're obviously not hunting down... Damn it, I was gonna say that. I'm, I'm
1: not I'm not hunting slaves. Um <laughs> I mean I I can I can defi- definitely see, you know, the disorderly conducts, anybody running around pissed drunks, screaming, it's like, oh you gotta get the drunks off the streets and you know, I could see connections there. And it's I mean, it's scary. It's it's things that I didn't realize, you know, we had those connections um, as a police force. Two slave patrols, you know, un, un, until I started looking more into it, and you know, it, it doesn't change my my views on current policing. Yeah, I, and
2: go ahead. No, oh, no, I was just gonna say like that actually brings up a pretty good point. Essentially, that like the more modern view that probably more aligns with Isaac's idea of policing. Really didn't come until like the early 1900s with a guy named August Vollmer, and he's the one that kind of he actually created the juvenile court system. He's this one that decided we shouldn't try kids like we try adults in court; Uh, they shouldn't be convicted in the same way we'd convict adult. And then when was this? This was like really early 1900s. Uh, Specifically, I don't have a date, but the man's name is August Vollmer. he also is the one that kind of stressed the importance of sociology, social work, and psychology, and then management within police work. So yeah. using all of those separate things to kind of help uh, calm a situation, so to speak. He was more yeah. about kind of using less violence and using more, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Tools to kind of help a
1: situation, I guess, like is the a, best word. More like de-escalation. Than yes, than, uh,
2: exactly. He was yeah. very pro-de-escalation, yes. Um, Good. This is, this, it's this guy that essentially told everybody that we should make sure that policemen have a college education, and he's the one that also tried to create a more interconnected police force, rather than just being a strictly punishment-only system. He tried to make it into this thing that... You know, we really try to hope and idealize it to be today. Um, especially, right. at least in good situations like Isaac has, where he hasn't had to, he's only been exposed to the better of it, as far as I can tell, or to a degree. Yeah, for, uh, for the most part. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't had any. It helps.
1: Oh, cool. yeah.
0: The scope of the job has certainly changed. So oh, absolutely. Today, we call the police for everything. The, my neighbor's being too loud. Uh, somebody's dog won't stop barking or you know you're in a minor accident the first thing you do is call the police you know yeah um, well it's so we we expect police officers to be a lot more than just somebody who hunts down uh you know wrongdoers or whatever like your 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 job is to to conduct traffic and to guard schools
1: yeah dude you know? it's i mean it's one of those things that you know we've we've talked about personally and there's a it's one of my favorite things ever it was a a ted talk by a police lieutenant and, and for the life of me i can't remember where he was out of it was a bigger department but you know we'll provide the links for it and i've shared it before but he talks about we've we've put so much on policing and police that shouldn't be there And it's something I I completely agree with. I shouldn't have to go to, you know, Blake's house and tell him to, hey, you need to get your dog to stop barking because Brandon finds it annoying. Brandon should be able to, you know, go over. I understand every situation is fluid. And, all you know, it just depends on your neighbors. But essentially, Brandon should be able to go over and knock on the door and be like, hey, Blake, dude, could you... You know do something about your dog he's he's barking, I'm trying to work or I'm trying to sleep and I work all night and all this. It should be handled within the community you know, kids out in the streets hollering and and being kids or even you know fighting young kids fighting, I shouldn't as a police officer have to respond and separate the kids and talk to them. I mean, don't get me wrong, I will, but I shouldn't have to that shouldn't be put on me. that should be put on the elders of the community. That should be put on the parents or you know, somebody around to be able to handle that situation. That way I don't have to show up and introduce a weapon into the situation. Now granted, it's my weapon but it shouldn't be there. You know, now if somebody gets shot or somebody gets beat halfway to death or something, by all means, call us and we will be there. But we've just put so much on us. You know, the community just put so much on us and they've expected so much that, you know, I, I think that's part of the uh, the reasons behind a lot of the issues that we've had in policing and in these communities, especially, you know, viewing through the the prism of race.
0: That there are really two different strong types of views that people have for police, which is one that view of they're just somebody who's there whose job it is to deal with everything that I don't like that somebody else in society does, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And maybe that's the more white and privileged (laughs) view. You know, that's how you end up with Karen who calls the police because the barista at Starbucks did something she didn't like. Or because there's a
1: Hispanic man running down... The street getting his exercise right. and it freaks mm-hmm. her out. Like, lady, calm down. Oh, I don't recognize this
0: guy, so I should call the cops. And then you have that Hispanic guy who's running down the street, and his perception of the police is that you are, like, you just showing up there is, is a show of force. Oh, yeah. The, well, I mean, and and it, it, it is the state. It, it, you are, like, the face of, uh, yeah, I say it all the time. The face of fascism, the face of authoritarianism, is a police uniform. It it just is, and it's something you have to be cognizant of at the end of the day, um, and that there's always going to be this perception because in the you know when we wrote the the Second Amendment, it was talking about you. Yeah. You know, it was talking that tyrannical government. That's what tyranny looks like. You know, that's what you know, and that's what. Like it was cops and it was soldiers who were rounding up Jews in Germany. Yeah, you know. And, well, and and, it, and 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 you have to be wary of those things. You know, that's we had the slave patrols and that's yeah. what they did. You know, we had in the in 1969, they, the fucking FBI was ordering hits on people.
1: Well, see, and and that yeah, I was, was going to say for
0: that reason.
1: It does, if nobody sees any issues with the government ordering a hit on somebody. It's like does nobody else re- let's let's say for argument's sake that he was every bit as bad as everybody wanted to think. Let's let's say he he was a bad bad man. The government shouldn't have any right to order a hit on somebody. Does nobody understand how insane that is? That's not how the process is supposed to work. No, yeah. that's that's crazy. But like and then going back to the Hispanic guy running down the street, I show up and I started talking to him. You know, well, you're only stopping me because I'm cause I'm Mexican in this neighborhood, and I want to tell him like, I'm not stopping you. That old lady that's standing out the window right now, <laughs> turn around and wave at her. <laughs> turn around and wave. She's standing right there. I'm. She's. But I mean, I get it. And yeah. and and it sucks that we've come to this point because you know. And I've told Brandon before. I want so desperately to be like, it's okay. You can come to me. I, I'm here to help you. And they're like, no, fuck that. I see what you do. And it's like, I, please, like, I'm here to help you. I promise, <laughs> I'm a good person. But I, I understand why they feel that way. And I, and I understand, especially somebody, a person of color, would feel that way. I mean, I'm, I'm a light, I'm a nice light caramel color myself. I've been getting my tan on. You know, I, my last, my last name's of Hispanic origins or Mexican origins but yeah i do
0: wonder i wonder how that how that affects you being oh. that you you are a, you know you are a person <laughs> yeah. of color
1: i I've, um, I've had it thrown in my face before i've straight up had you know i had a white lady and a white gentleman um yelling racial slurs at me calling me a spick calling me a greaser calling me a filthy Mexican and just going off before. And then on on the flip side of that, and that was whenever they were in trouble and I was trying to conduct an investigation that they were accused of a crime. Now then on the flip side of that, I've had, you know, I, I had a gentleman that I was escorting out of a basketball game who was borderline jumping in the middle of the game and like yelling at the refs. Like, you could stand over there on the, on the bleachers and do that, but when you start actually getting on the court and, like, flipping off the refs and, like, trying to shoulder check the refs as they're running by, it's like, you can't do that. So yeah. the ref said, he's out. I'm kicking him out of the game. Okay, hey, let's go, bud. So we're walking and everything's fine. And then we get to the exit, and he's like, oh, no, it's just because I'm black. You're kicking me out because I'm black. No, I'm, I'm not. I was like, dude, I'm, you're not much darker than I am. For one, for two, I'm kicking <laughs> you out because you tried to shoulder check the ref. I was like, that's that's the only thing. I was like, yeah, I don't care what... I, I don't. It doesn't matter what color you are. You you were doing something bad, and you were asked to leave. It's, it's as simple as that. But there have been multiple incidents, and any, you know, straight up it was like, oh, well, you're a Mexican guy. Weren't you on my side? It's like, I'm, I am I didn't realize I had to pick sides like that. I mean... So, yeah, there there have been times where my own ethnicity have been called into play. Either I'm a Mexican Uncle Tom or I'm a <laughs> just a filthy Mexican. And so I, I think that it's more than just a racism issue inside of policing. I think that there's a major issue with racism throughout our entire country. And well there are two aspects of
0: that you know so there is the cultural racism which i think there's no denying exists you take you know things like the unite the right rally you know um neo-nazis marching in the streets saying yelling you will not replace us um there's really there's no doubt that you know race is still something that exists in our culture in a lot of different ways but you know, are you, are, are you telling me that it's not your understanding that institutional racism isn't a thing as well in terms of racial, you know, police practices? Maybe, right. uh, you know, over, over-policing of, of minority neighborhoods, people of color receiving harsher sentences. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's no doubt that, you know, in that time period oh, that yeah. I was talking about with, with Fred Hampton... You know, 1969, you know, the FBI is carrying out assassinations on...
1: (laughs) Like the fucking um, mafia.
0: ...American citizens. Uh, They were investigating, and, you know, there's some reason to believe that, you know, if they weren't... Didn't play a direct role that they had perhaps considered assassinating Martin Luther King Jr., uh, they were certainly investigating him and, and, and following him at all times. You know, that's the time period where you know, the Black Panther Party, like I said, was viewed as one of the, the biggest threat to American society In American society. And when Ronald Reagan was governor in California, the Black Panthers marched on the capital of California armed with assault rifles in their hands. And immediately, California passed the strictest gun control measures that existed in the nation mm-hmm. at the time which eventually swept the country and that's really where gun control really began in this yeah. in this nation in a meaningful sense uh and it was a, in, a, in direct you know conflict with a, a racialized organization one of the biggest problems that people had with the black panther party wasn't necessarily that it was black run but it was that the they were black run and they were willing to work with with people of other races with with white people they would bring anybody in um I in, watched Force Gum and uh, <laughs> yeah then we started the, the war on drugs yeah which made you know a lot of drug offenses um felonies and we immediately made it so if you got a felony you lost two things you lost your right to own a gun and your right to vote we started locking black people up in huge numbers putting them into the criminal justice system and stripping their, their right to vote and their right to and their right to own a gun you know oh we'll so effectively show them taking them out of the political the political system as much as possible and then taking away their their ability to to defend themselves you know um from a a quote-unquote you know oppressive state then you know we move through through the decades and we have you know mandatory minimum sentencing yeah and things like the the crime bills you know signed into law by bill clinton you know and and who joe you know joe biden played a very significant role in there's Certainly, a lot of evidence to to show that may, that, that there are institution institutional part you know parts of this. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, not, yeah. No, I I wouldn't whether or not
0: you know how to what levels that that breaks into, you know, your job yeah. in particular. Uh, maybe maybe hard to hard to say.
1: Well, know? yeah, especially in in the area of the country where we're from, we. You know, I, I, I can say that, you know, we've had the conversations before. It's like, well, I haven't experienced that, you know, where where we're at, or I haven't seen that, or I haven't, I've been a part of that. And I think a lot of that has to do with the demographics around where we live. You know, it's a heavy, incredibly heavy Hispanic um, cultured area. Um, you know, we we have, that doesn't mean that there aren't other races over here. It's just primarily Hispanic, but... You know, I I haven't experienced, and and the town that we're from is small enough to where, you know, it's equal opportunity crime everywhere. <laughs> don't don't worry, there's just as many crimes on the north side as there are south side of town. But in these larger departments, you know, if if you look at some of the studies that have been done, you look at some of the, I mean, you just it's it's everywhere. It's in news, it's in movies, it's in music, talking about. I mean, it's everywhere. It's kind of hard to argue how much heavily some of these lower-income minority um, majority neighborhoods are impacted by the police, where these other neighborhoods aren't. It's, I, it's, well, it, you can't argue, yes. Yeah. Well, lower that's lower
0: income. Yeah,
1: I mean, you pay somebody a little bit less based on the color of their skin. They can't afford to live in a better neighborhood or a better district. So we're all living together in the same area, lower income neighborhoods, we're all the same color. And it's almost like it's institutionalized.
0: Right. Yeah, so a lot you know, a lot of this stuff, you know, I think we're gonna, gonna kinda dive into a lot of in the in the next episode. I do wanna I want you to maybe dive a little bit into the warrior versus the guardian mindset and what Mm -hmm. that means um, in terms of your role as a police officer and how, and how you should go about it.
1: Okay. Yeah. We've, you know, it's been, I used to believe that a police officer can have both. Now, whenever I say both, I'm referring to a warrior and guardian mindset, which is you ask any police officer and they'll know what you're talking about but if you don't know what I'm talking about it's the you know warrior mindset which you know I'm I'm ready to go to war at any moment I'm ready to fight I'm ready to prevail against evil and send me to war and you know I I know violence and I you know I'm your stereotypical macho badass cop beating up the bad guy and all that all that good stuff, essentially, <laughs> you know it's the I'm prepared right now to draw my gun and to go to town if I have to i I am ready for it, and whereas the guardian mindset you know it's it focuses a lot more on it's more of a mindset to slow things down to deescalate situations to Protect people, to guard, to be a guardian, essentially, as opposed to going out and going forward into something. It's, you know, I've, I've got people behind me that I'm protecting, that I'm trying to uh, take care of. You know, it's a lot more of a, I'll say, a passive view on policing, as for, you know, as opposed to a reactive or a progressive approach to it. Um, so
0: are are these things that are that are institutionalized, things that are taught, or is it more of a culture?
1: I believe it's uh, more of a culture s- thing. I mindset. we, yeah we we never went over, you know specifically a warrior or guardian mindset type class or anything in the academy. Um, s- I think it. So it, it, it would, go ahead.
0: It it would seem to me that in order to see any real success on either on either front um it would need to be more institutional and i would and to me my first uh thoughts are that it it is institutional because Mm -hmm. you know you talk about the warrior mindset um it's really you know treating police like they're soldiers
1: oh yeah yeah no they're 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 i you know i'm i'm assuming you're familiar you've at least heard of uh Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, and his, I, and yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I figured you were, you know, and and you know, a lot of the things that he talks about, you know, there's trainings that he puts on across the country where officers sign up for. Hey, you got to be ready. You got to be ready to pull the trigger. You got to be willing to kill somebody. You got to be willing to. So, in, in a sense, right. you want. I guess that does answer your question. Yeah, there's there's parts yeah. of it that are institutionalized. It it may not be directly from a You know, uh, uh, an accredited police academy that's teaching these things, but it's resources that we have access to that surround the umbrella of policing. Um, Police
0: forces go around and they and they, you know, they pay, you know, like the Israeli police departments mm -hmm. and and Israeli army soldiers to come in and train their officers on different techniques and stuff, and, and really to train to give them military 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 training yeah um to our local police departments and then you and then there's you know been this huge militarization of our police departments mm-hmm. over the lo- course of the last couple decades yeah where we're we're you know we've actually set up programs that allow police departments to buy to buy military co- equipment at cost mm-hmm. sometimes to just be gifted Military equipment f- directly from the military. Yeah. Um. That's you know, you know, there there are tie-ins with, obviously, with the uh, military industrial complex and the fact that we have these these massive contracts with the uh, companies that build all this equipment, and so we actually have to keep re-upping on equipment whether we need it or not, and so we're just constantly moving things down the chain. <laughs> it just and, uh, gets well, deeper and have... deeper, more so than people they, realize. Yeah. So they just kind of give this stuff away, but, now, you know, now we're giving police departments like, like your police department mm-hmm. is a pretty small police department, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of, like, you know, national size or yeah. whatever. Oh, yeah. And you guys have armored
1: Yeah, armored we, we, we have, and... you know, we have a full armored vehicle, which, you know, um, on that, I, I understand your concerns, and, and, you know, we've talked about it before, but I've and, – and I can say that the use of that vehicle – has come to, you know, high risk warrant services. This guy's got guns. He's got weapons. He's, you know, it's a high risk warrant service. They pull up with it, turn the lights on, turn on the loud horn on, and that is the essentially the use of it. It's it's a it's a show of force. Right. You know, there's there's no mounted weapons or anything on it. It's loud. It's big. It's scary looking. They get on the intercom and start doing call-outs. Hey, this is police department. You need to come out. We have the place surrounded. You know, we, we do full, uh, you know, research on the properties. Make sure, do our best to make sure that there's no women or children inside the house. If we're confident that, you know, an informant's like, yeah, no, there's no kids in there. Come out, come out, come out. Nobody's comes out. We'll introduce, you know, a gas um you know like tear gas or something into it and then they come out to us we put them in handcuffs and that's how we handle it very rarely i don't i don't know if i've ever seen a situation that wasn't a now situations are fluid in in our line of work you know I, that but that they've shown up and kicked a door in and gone 1980s swat status on a house and, and cleared it that way it's just from, from my experience, it's not how, how it's done. Is it done around the country? Yes, it's absolutely done across the country. Obviously ask Brianna Taylor's family, which right. I, which I think is an insane way to go about it. Um, and so
0: in, you know, in that national discussion, you know, you look at things like these, you know, this protests and the, and the things that when police show up in full riot gear and mm-hmm. armor and everything and holding these big scary guns, you know, and, you know, we could talk about, you know, whether or not they're using rubber bullets or, 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 you know, and pepper bullets and whatever, but it's it's a show of force and it looks like a military. Oh vehicle. yeah, out and, there, and it look like soldiers. I mean, and then we had, we had, you know, we called in the National Guard in a lot of these places. We called in the National Guard in my, in my neighborhood. I so, when these protests kicked off, the. That first weekend of the protests, the mall by my house, the mall by my work was looted. So a bunch of uh, younger people went through this fashion center and broke into a bunch of businesses, broke into the Apple store and stole a shit ton of stuff and vandalized property. People lost their minds. We brought in the, the National Guard, and the National Guard came into town... And they parked at the mall by my house, you know, literally, like, what is that, like a half a mile away oh, from me? Oh, AZ Mills?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like a half mile the, away. Yeah,
0: half a mile away, we had armored vehicles parked outside of the mall. Now, they're not here, they're not here anymore, but they weren't here to protect me.
1: No, they're there to protect the property.
0: Yeah, they're there to protect the goddamn Oakley store, mm-hmm.
1: you know? which Which blows um, my mind. So, I mean, we have different views on a lot of this militarization of police I, I see you know our our SWAT team and our use of military grade vehicle in in good ways um but I do understand your concerns whenever it comes to like why should you have that you know I explained you know our you know my my thoughts on it and why we have it and how it's used. But I I understand the the concerns of well, who's to say that the government won't call one day, you know, if someone really up high and say, Hey, you need to use that big military vehicle and drive down the middle of the street and we need to start taking control of this town or whatever. You know, and and, and I get it. I I do see the positives in having these vehicles and, and, and these you know types of trainings you know in mine it's not but, you know th- good
0: things things like that really to me demonstrate the difference between you know you, you talk about it being a more uh, cultural thing but uh-huh. i see it as a very institutional thing this uh-huh. warrior versus guardian mindset and to me it, it seems obvious that around the country th- the the primary view is the is the warrior mindset oh yeah and yeah. that and that you know they're not our police forces aren't aren't set up to to place public safety as their as their top priority yeah their their top priority is local is businesses it's you know it's the apple store and it's 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 property and that's what you know showing up in riot gear yeah when there's a thousand people marching in the street about police brutality in the middle of in the middle of downtown Phoenix. And then we show up um, in the most brutal
1: way possible. <laughs> I mean, yeah,
0: they're, they're showing up. there saying, you better not break any goddamn windows, you know, and, and these people are shouting, stop killing us.
1: Yeah. Well, see, know? and, and, and they're
0: met with rubber bullets and they're met with
1: and, uh, and I came with pepper spray. Yeah. And which is, I mean, you know, you know, the video of, oh, where were they at? They were on the side of a highway. On the side of a highway, In Philadelphia. Philadelphia, and they just begin peppering them with gas and rubber bullets. And I that, I do not. It blows my freaking mind the thought that somebody thought that that was a good idea. They're not doing anything, you know, and that that's my personal views on. OK, so so take it back real quick. So we've got the you know, a lot of people saying, well, it's not not just it's not every officer it's a couple bad apples and there's good apples but you got to look at you know the basket is pretty messed up and worn out which is all of us in general that i'm a well, part of you know but so it's it's so much more than just a few bad apples i think
0: the saying actually is a few bad apples spoil the bunch and that's what it yeah. actually means cuz like if you take a few bad apples and you're making cider <laughs> you're going to end up, or you're making a pie. You
1: know,
0: <laughs> you're, you're going to, you're going to ruin the, you're going to yeah. ruin the whole pie.
1: So, I mean, so, so go that's, on. that's, that's why we've, you know, i I've, I've told people before and I've had this question asked to me from friends, from family, from random people, my thoughts on like defunding the police and everything, like you said, we get into in the next couple episodes, but I wouldn't be sitting here right now if I, wasn't at least game for talking about it and i think that's part of the problem is police officers are it's a very proud profession we got our shiny badges and our shiny boots don't you tell me that i'm doing wrong don't you tell me that you my brothers in blue are doing wrong because i don't want to hear it which is bullshit that's there's obvious problems there why would you not want to fix it i still want to be a part of this i still want to be a part of policing in america but i i I want to be a part of the change that that it so desperately needs that's that's why with this whole warrior versus guardian mindset i i used to believe that you could be both when it's time to be a warrior you can flip that switch and you know handle a violent situation if i had to but you know i started thinking you know, if, if I'm already have that guardian mindset, if I can de-escalate a situation and protect people, everybody, not just the, you know, not just a supposed victim of a crime, but protect the perpetrator of a crime. So he lives to see his day in court and everybody else surrounding it. You know, why, why wouldn't I want to do that? And and if I'm a guardian, then naturally I'm going to be protective. I'm, I'm going to it it kind of falls along the same lines as it but I'm not looking for a fight which we shouldn't ever be. I mean, who are we at war with? We're not at war with anyone. We shouldn't right. be. It's to protect and serve, not to go to war.
0: And it's not your job to punish people.
1: No, it's not. It's 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 my job to show up and pr- the preservation of life. It's yeah. it's simple. That's that's it. If if you know, through the process of my investigation into a crime, I can determine that the basic elements of a crime happened, then I charge somebody and I send it to the justice system for the justice system to do its job to decide whether I did mine it right or not. If they're like, no, this was wrong, they they whatever, then that's that's the justice system. That is completely separate and different from me. I show up, make sure nobody dies, make sure if somebody has to go to jail that they that they do or that they go home or whatever but it's not my decision to make i'm I'm not a judge i i deliver them to a judge in a sense and in in cases but i'm not the judge and i i just i don't know it's i i think a lot of things have gotten so out of hand in policing today that police officers need to be reminded of that reminded that we are not warriors we're not soldiers. We are not going to war with anybody. It is our job to protect people, to help people, to be a part of the community, not fight against the community.
0: Right. I mean, I noticed in your notes that, you you know, you have down here some lieutenant, Lieutenant Godin, mm-hmm. uh, estimates the breakout of police work as 90% guardian and 10% warrior.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, that just goes to show, like, the vast majority of what police actually do is not engage in gunfights. No, you know no. Like, and like what is your what is your day to day as an on the beat cop? What does that actually look like?
1: On let's say <laughs> as of right now, I patrol a small area of town that is a like a park type area. We've got a a waterway that runs through town that gets a lot of attention from our local residents as well as people from out of town um, because it's a desert and it's water. So, right. you know what I mean? So they flock to it. So my job is to be a presence around there. So my my day-to-day is either walking or driving this really nice little golf cart <laughs> which is pretty sick oh,
0: you're a golf cart cop
1: <laughs> i mean at least you're
0: not a bicycle cop maybe you should be a bicycle cop. No, no, I, no.
1: <laughs> I, I thought about it i honestly thought about it but dude i sweat too much i sweat way too much that's the point isaac no, well not not you're if i'm horse? not if i'm trying to horse talk cop. to people and trying to interact no with pain, the community. no gain. shut up Brandon. <laughs> you're not gonna want to talk to me if i'm all stinky it's like, hey, I appreciate that you're trying Let's to be real. A nice you're guy. probably stinky out there anyway. That's not true. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> Anyways, so my day today is to get out there, patrol that area. Um, you know, I write tra- traffic citations if I see them. I go and I, um, there's a recreation center around there that a lot of kids go to. Um I make a presence there. I just walk around i'm I am very much in the public eye when i mean it's it's still to me like my like during the school year i'm a school resource officer, which means that my main area of jurisdiction is at our local high school and i and I love it. It is my favorite thing to do. You know, I I initially went to college to be a teacher. um, Decided, hey, this isn't for me. I suck at math. I'm never going to speak Spanish, so I'm going to go be a cop. And (laughs) (laughs) in in doing so, I have, like I said earlier, I've got my instructor's license. I work with several nonprofit organizations around um, our town to, you know, for youth type activities. I put on presentations for parents talking to them about you know sp- drug trends and stuff amongst teenagers, you know kids and I mean just anything to do with juveniles and today. And Do you
0: feel like because of that work that you're more maybe tapped into your local community than maybe a lot of the oh, other officers on Definitely, the force?
1: definitely. I think it should be you know and and it's just been always something that I've always wanted to do was be a part of the community. I mean, it's the ones who are paying my salary and the ones who are living where I live. You know, just because I'm a cop doesn't mean I live in a separate gated community. In, in fact, you know, right. you can argue that I live in the hood. <laughs> <laughs> it's where I grew up. I mean, I'm pretty gangster myself. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it it definitely... I definitely think that we need to have more officers involved in the community and show them that, you know, it's – it's where do, where do you draw the line? Do we have – do you want police officers to not be as involved in whenever it comes to enforcing things, like I said earlier, with uh, telling your neighbor to shut his dog up or and, – and being involved in the community as far as education – on certain things goes, you know what I mean. I I I I definitely think that we need to be as involved with the community as much as possible, because it really brings us back down to earth. It gets us away right. from and 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 the glory and the best part of my job is, you know, I get to interact with you know these teenagers and these kids, these little kids so that go to the elementary schools and stuff and interact with them and it brings me back down to earth to where it's like hey this is why i'm here here. It's to make sure it's to try to help these these students grow up to be decent people and to instill all this good stuff and to try to help them out as much as i can and i think that if we can get more officers involved in that aspect of it into the guardian aspect of it and protecting our communities and getting involved with the communities I think that that could have tremendous impacts on everything else that we've had. I mean, you know, on bringing together, you know, people in every walk of life and in every, you know, corner of a community, whether it's a privileged type community or it's a, you know, lower income type community. What if they see us out in the aspect of, either teaching or helping or just being involved in other ways than just enforcement of the law, then that can build tremendous relationships. See, I don't, I don't know, man. Like I, I get
0: that, you know, I know several police officers, obviously, you know, I love you like a brother and we've known each other for,
1: wait, like a know, brother. We're not actually out. related. Yeah. <laughs> we look exactly I mean, I do the same. I call your
0: mom my other mom. So.
1: Exactly. I talked to your mom um, not too long ago. I was like, "What's up, mama?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I I grew up,
0: you know. A, I spent a lot of my formative years pretty poor, but uh, you know, I'm white and <laughs> and I was a good
1: student. Dude, you're straight up. And pale. I was
0: well, <laughs> I was a jock, and you know, I knew all the school resource officers at my high school and like on a first name basis yeah. and stuff. I remember being a teenager. You know out at a park uh and you know maybe people there had illicit drugs on them um but like an officer coming up and me recognizing them and just being like oh hey i know you like go, i'll go t- chat him up for a little bit and, and <laughs> hey what's up cantrell oh hey but you guys
1: Officer you know, I, Officer Dave, you're not
0: you're not, <laughs> yeah, not de, uh, destroying any property or anything. All right. Well, you know, if another off if another cop comes through here, you're gonna have to leave. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, be safe. Whatever. Later. You know, I, I I I grew up around police officers and stuff, and not having any real like fear, obviously. But like everybody has had you know, bad experiences with police. I certainly have had not great experiences with police as well. Yeah. It's not hard to see how there might be a cultural just a disconnect there between a lot of these officers and their communities. You know, I remember one time I was in a I was in a car accident. I was going down the freeway and I was on my way to get a haircut and then I had to work later. And I got over into the exit lane to get off the freeway and traffic was backed up and traffic was at a standstill on the the exit ramp so I was coming to a stop I was slowing almost to a stop and I got nailed by a Toyota Tacoma who was probably going 50 60 miles per hour uh he was like a 16 year old kid I'm assuming he was texting because he uh he cracked his windshield and his hand was bleeding. So I think he was had his phone in his hand <laughs> and then he hit me and then his hand hit, hit, the, hit the windshield. That's what I think happened. Um, but he, like, hit me and it put me into the next car and that car into the next car. And, like, four or five cars were <laughs> like, piled up. And I didn't have a trunk anymore.
1: Um, his insurance was best.
0: Oh, dude. <laughs> you know, so obviously, like, police came out, you know, took the... Uh, you know, everybody's account of what happened. They wrote the kid a citation, a tow truck came to tow my car. And I assumed, you know, we're still on the freeway. I assumed that I would be able to like hitch a ride with the tow truck driver, but I couldn't, he, he told me it was against their company policy. He couldn't take me in the tow truck and he drove off with my car. (laughs) And I was like, uh, well, uh, shit. So then I walked down to where the cop is. He's about to get into his car. And I'm like, Hey man, like, Sorry to bother you, officer. Do you think maybe you could uh, could give me a lift, like at least off the freeway? And then he told me, "Sorry, I'm not allowed to put you in my car." (laughs) And and immediately I was like, "What do you What do you mean? Like you put people in your car all of the time? Like you can put me in the back seat if you want. Like cuff me if you like
2: if you need to. Yeah, I need (laughs) is the rule that I need to have handcuffs
0: on. And I'm like. It's technically illegal for me to be a pedestrian. <laughs> you like, so on this on this freeway, you know. Like you, I, I can't call a cab. <laughs> Dude. hi, I'm on the side of the 60s. You should sure just you know? just
1: show him your wiener, and then he'd have to put right. you in his car.
0: <laughs> so, so he just left me there.
1: That is, a- and and
0: and I start walking down. So I start walking down the the freeway, and luckily the kid who hit me his mom showed up on the freeway to pick him up and she drove down and then offered me a ride and so she gave me the most awkward ride i ever i have ever had in my whole life
1: to work after her son rear-ended you <laughs>
0: She's just, she looked so pissed. You're like, sorry, my son
1: just <laughs> plowed you from behind. Like,
0: that kid, the kid didn't say a single word to me the whole time. <laughs> See, but I'm just like, like, what, what was this guy doing that was so important? Absolutely nothing. He
1: couldn't help me. Do, do you know how, I'm, I just, I don't understand. And maybe it could be, it's because of where we come from. And I'm in a smaller department in a smaller part of the country i guess but it's like hey could you give me a ride yeah sure go ahead i'll pal pat you down first you know just on the outside i'm not gonna go and your pockets or nothing just make sure you don't have like a son off shotgun in your pants but it that see that blows my mind i do not understand what the issue is like you said put you in freaking handcuffs if he felt so inclined but get you off the damn highway so you don't get hit and hurt i i do not understand that train of thoughts. It's like, oh, sorry, I, I can't do that. It's policy like bullshit, dude. Like, yeah. and I had just been hit by a fucking
0: 60 mile per yeah. hour truck. It just dropped me off the dude, exit. Like, dude. like, who knows? <laughs> like, I could I could have some kind of like internal bleeding. or Well, something it's, it's
1: like be walking down the. What happens? Let, let's say real talk. You go back to that same incident. And you're like, oh, OK, he drives off and you're trying to get off the damn freeway and you get hit by a car. He could be held right. civilly li- liable. Any decent attorney would ask, "Is like, well, what were you doing before? Well, I asked his cop to help me get off the freeway, and he's like, nope, can't do that. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, bro, me and you are both about to get paid. It's like, <laughs> I
0: hadn't even thought of that. Maybe I should have just stepped into traffic. I could have played,
2: paid for school. <laughs> you idiot. Oh, all right, fine. I'll just I wouldn't have all these student way. loans
0: to deal with yeah. right now. God damn it. <laughs>
1: See, would we, we, well, be a lot faster if I exit on that side of the um, road. So I'm just gonna walk across real quick, if that's fine by you. <laughs> See, we need to do an episode on student loans and paying for college. I think that yeah, would no be a joke. good one. Yeah, I like that one but too. But, anyways, no it's I, I just don't understand. I could come from the privilege side.
0: <laughs> you know, like you were saying earlier, you know, getting police more involved in the community and, and 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 all of this stuff, I get. But on the but on the flip side, you know, I will say. I get when... I get when I see officers get upset that... Well, nobody... You don't see on the news all the good things that we do in our community and stuff. You only see the bad things. And on one hand, I'm like... You know, I, I I get that, and that that seems shitty. On the other hand, that's how every profession is. Like yeah, nobody, typically. like I don't make the news for doing really good digital marketing. You no. know, like. <laughs> um, yeah, but but, but, but if I like texted a bunch of like racial slurs, or, or if I messaged a bunch of racial slurs to somebody on Twitter, you know, then I, then, again. then I might make the news. You know, <laughs> uh, that's that's just how the world works. Well, and uh, I, on the other hand. I get a little. I get really annoyed when I see videos of like, oh look at this cop in uniform playing basketball with some neighborhood kids. I'm just like, what are we paying you for? <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I'm. A, I'm a little bit like, what is this? Like, is it oh, would you is re- it propaganda? Or you know, is it like, don't you have? Like murders to be solving well, or see, and, and kids that's, to be testing, you know? That's, that's
1: Well, yeah,
2: murders to be solved. Those are detectives.
1: So thank not you, that, Blake. That it's, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's a completely different part of it. I mean, and I get what you're saying. You know, it's like, shouldn't you be doing something more productive? But then we go and do something more productive and you get mad at me. It's like, why are you pulling <laughs> so, me so over? So give me,
0: give me a for for instance. Well, it's a for
1: instance. It's like I stop and a basketball rolls in front of my unit and I park and I get out and I toss it to the kid. And he's like, hey, you want to play some hoops? And I'm like, I've got five minutes. Cool. All
0: right. I'm going to give this example real quick of this video that I saw very recently of a police officer pulls this lady over on the side of the road and he walks up and he asks her ma'am do you know do you know why i pulled you over she says no and you can tell she she's a black woman and she looks a little like really nervous and he's like it's actually illegal to drive around without without an ice cream cone. And then he hands her an ice cream cone. <laughs> oh, and she's like, oh my God, and whatever. And he hands everybody in the car an
1: ice cream cone. I, we could, I wish we published our videos so everybody else could see the look on my face as Brandon's saying <laughs> telling the story. Okay, listen, smart ass. That is bullshit. Because I, I just conducted a traffic stop and detained you to give you an ice cream cone. I have just committed a crime. <laughs> exactly. That
0: Exactly. That
1: is bullshit. Now
0: me, now back. To Thank you so much for understanding. Everybody commenting on the video, oh my god, this is so nice. I'm like, are you kidding me? And, and, no, and, 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 so and, and,
1: I would have been nice in the moment because I don't want to be mean about it. just but yeah. scared
0: the shit out of some <laughs> woman and her family.
1: And, and you'll be pleased to know that I've had this almost the exact same conversation with other police officers. I believe it was in Arizona. There was a department that decided that it was a good idea to stop and pull people over whenever an officer... Op- that was here. Was it there? Whenever they did something yeah. good. And an officer yeah. observed them. It's like, no, we had that conversation, me and several other police officers, on how stupid that was. I, w- <laughs> I was
0: messaging people at work, like, if I get fucking pulled over tomorrow on my way to work, I'm going to be so goddamn annoyed.
1: Dude, <laughs> you, you make a proper stop and turn, and then the cop pulls you over, and he's like, wait a minute. Is that... Is that marijuana? Like, oh, fuck. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. hey. Like, that is a violation of your rights for no reason other than to make us look good. I shouldn't. Do I want a pat on the back every once in a while? Sure. That would be great. But I'm not doing it for attention. I'm not doing it hoping that somebody's recording me. That's not, that's not why I do my job at all. If I'm doing it for attention sinking, then I'll just go be a YouTube con, uh, content creator. That's their job is purely on attention. I don't do it for that. But like I said, if if a kid if basketball rolls, he's like I like I got five minutes. Just you know, I'm not in the process of investigating a murder like Brandon thinks we do every five fucking seconds.
0: Well, I know you don't do it. That's the problem. Oh, shut <laughs> up,
1: dude! But that—that that is different than it's like, yeah, sure, throw it back, throw a football around for a few minutes. Hey, see you later, guys, and then get in my car and leave and go back to my job. But
0: right. but
1: then I get back in my car and I pull someone over and it's like, you know, I stopped you because you were doing sixty and a thirty. And I'm giving you a ticket. Don't you have better things to do, like stopping murders or rapists? And I, I've heard it so many times. Like, you're right, <laughs> I do. But because you were speeding at a reckless rate, I had to stop and pull you over. So thank you.
2: Let's also stop and think about how many times people think we should be stop like, wondering, like, you should be stopping murderers and rapists. Let's try and all add that up. How many murders and rapes would actually be happening if Brandon thought how many people you should be capturing that are murdering or raping? Well,
0: rape is a Probably major problem dumb. in our fucking society.
2: Especially right, in Arizona. What murder. is
1: it?
0: What is yeah. it? One in five women have been subject to sexual assault? Yeah, so, I mean, terrible. So, I mean, during, so that one's common. Yes, so,
2: that's a poor example of you know, sure, murder, then. I'm
0: sure you've heard of <laughs> Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Oh, Sheriff God. Joe Arpaio, who, who thankfully is not in office anymore. God, he's still But uh, when he was in office, he failed to investigate rape cases while he was too busy under... under so talk about institutional racism, SB 1070. Yeah. When that was in effect... We were. It was perfect. It was on the books. It was a law that was eventually uh, counted as unconstitutional because it was it was explicitly racial profiling. Mm -hmm. They were. You were allowed to pull over any any person if you suspected any Mexican uh, under under suspicion that they were an, an undocumented immigrant. Yep. And then they would have to prove to you. That they weren't an undocumented
1: immigrant. I don't even speak Spanish.
2: (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: So
2: it
0: was literally like, you're brown, I can pull you over, do you have your papers? If not, I'm booking you.
1: Which is insane. And Um, of course, I am uh, obviously against that, but but what I'm saying is that they weren't playing basketball with kids, Brandon okay Right. <laughs> yeah. and I'm not gonna lie like you know if, if if all
0: I saw were videos of them doing that and I didn't have to see our local police forces handing uh, out shooting people yeah. uh, several times every every year maybe I maybe I would feel differently about it because True. right now that is what we get out here we have uh, in Maricopa County we our our police officers shoot people more often than anybody else in the country hmm um it's just it's just a statistical fact of the matter and you know and that's and that's the world that i live in right yeah. here you know so in the wake of things like these protests and stuff i think the biggest qualm that i have with a lot of the police officers that i know is just when we see things like you know like the george floyd murder where are all of these police officers standing up for accountability because we know that it's almost impossible if you honestly dude like if you kill somebody Mm -hmm. while you're on the beat tomorrow it'll be almost impossible even if you are totally in the wrong which I don't think you would be but if you did Mm -hmm. it would be almost impossible for the victim's family to seek justice
1: which is insane and and again I, I don't and and this is just me, and I and I'm sure there's going to be people that may or may not listen to. Well, the, I mean, they'd have to listen to it to form an opinion, but that listen to it and are like, "Well, this guy's just trying to." Oh, I'm a good cop, and I don't do any of that. I mean, you could ask Brandon, who's obviously the most critical person ever. I mean, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, it's it's fair. It's fair. <laughs> I'm. It's really who I am. I I promise. I don't ever want to have to kill anybody. And I don't ever want to have to beat anybody down. Have have I gotten physical with people to get them, you know, who have wanted to get physical with me on the job? Yeah, that's that's part of it. I mean, there's no, I ain't going to jail and then turn around and swing on me and we end up rolling around on the ground. Yeah, that's happened. But I've known better right. to. I, it's I go back to my training and what I've I've been through. Is it different everywhere else? Right. Fucking obviously. But I, I go back to my training that I that I've been taught and it's, you know, wrist locks and it's it's all centered around gaining control of a subject. Nowhere in there right. is it to harm or injure or to do anything other than that. And that's why I don't I don't get where we have all these other issues around the country with these officers being dickheads like that. And and I and, and we'll get into but, it in the other videos because I will rant yeah. for fucking ever or in the other in the other does, podcast. It, but it's doesn't it just seem like
0: you sh- the first people to be standing up and asking for accountability should be other. officers. Oh,
1: absolutely. Like,
0: like why aren't there cops out there protesting?
1: Well, I mean, and, and 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 there and there are. I mean, I've seen I've seen some videos of officers being out there right with those protesters, and then we get people that are like, oh, well, the same officer that took a knee or the same officer that was standing over here, and was was supposed to have said this or said that,
0: or was pepper spraying somebody yeah. two hours ago. And
1: later? and yeah. are are there incidents where that's happened? I, I'm sure there are. I don't know the exact specifications of those you know supposed incidents where he's like oh i'm just taking a knee to make it look good does that happen yeah i'm sure it does we're all fucking humans we're we're not necessarily right. the best species we're not the worst you know but are there actual cops that are actually out there on the front lines with these protesters and trying to make a stand i completely be- i fully believe that they are i believe that there are actual other good cops that see that there's other issues that we need to take care of inside of policing, standing on the front lines with them, but aren't getting the the benefit of the doubt, which I'm not sure they act, that we actually deserve. But that doesn't mean that they should stop either. I mean, just because okay. I, I say all the things that I have, you know, through this recording and then through the next several episodes trying to, you know, say, hey, we're not all bad, I promise. Look at me, look at me, look at me. But... You know, I, it doesn't mean that I'm doing it to try to get that that acknowledgement. I'm, I'm saying it because it's right. how I really believe, and I really believe that there are good officers out there who are out there doing good things. Who right. who would have, if they've been around that incident, you know, knocked that cop off of his off of George Floyd's back, and and told him like, "What the fuck are you doing, dude? Get right. off of him!" There's Four of us, he's already in handcuffs. Get off of him. Leave him alone.
0: So that's, those are good points. And I and I, I think that's maybe a good place for us to leave off. Oh, yeah, because, I got to uh, piss. When we get back, <laughs> <laughs> when we when we get Pat back for the next episode, uh, I really want to like... dive into who, what it takes to become a cop and who these people are and what we can do about, about, changing those things oh, yeah. and, and getting getting those bad cops those people who do those those things uh, off of the streets <laughs> and you know seeking justice Oh I
1: and and that's that's where if you would let me I would keep rambling on about my main well, my main you're
0: going to get to in the next
1: episode yeah. that's for well, sure Oh my and in, in going into the next episode I I will but going into it I'll say right now my main beliefs on some of the issues that we've had with these asshole officers making my job so much fucking harder is the not having a good enough hiring process, especially as it comes to psyche valves and the hiring of guys that had served in the military for 20 years who are natural born killers already. And then, Hey, let's give them a gun and a badge and tell them, Hey, go to town here on our own soil. I've got problems with it. I don't have problems with giving these, these vets jobs whatsoever, at all. I, You know, we, we have right. horrible amounts of vets who are living on the streets, suffering from, you know, PTSD and all kinds of other mental health issues that need to be taken care of, but I don't think that policing is the right fit for them. But that's exactly what we're doing. That's That's... That, that seems like a pretty strong
0: take. I, I, I look forward to to diving more into. You're goddamn
1: right, you do. Into
0: into that <laughs> perspective. Uh, and so we're gonna. That's where we're gonna leave off. You know, thanks for listening to this episode. Like we said, we have at least two more episodes planned for you. Uh, if we ramble as much as we did this time, uh, we might break it off into into another episode or two. Please follow our social channels and let us know what. What you're thinking about, what you're hearing, and and what you'd like to see get talked about, and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and all that stuff. Uh, check out our social pages. We are at Thunkin Philo on both Facebook and Twitter. And I'm looking into setting up a Patreon. If you uh, if you like the content and maybe don't like how things sound. <laughs> or- or whatever you know uh give us some money and, and we'll buy better equipment yeah
1: <laughs> we'll even show you we'll show you where that money goes
0: <laughs> right uh if not we we'll, we love you anyway we're gonna keep doing this just because it's uh it's a fun hobby. Oh, yeah. we don't make any money off of it as it is give us a follow give us a like please and follow that guys and we'll talk to you next time bye